I missed you guys last week. I'm glad to be back with you. Let's jump in. Titus, chapter 1, looking at verses 5 through 9. If you are not already there in your copy of God's Word, I would invite you to turn to that section. If you don't have a Bible, as has been mentioned, there are blue Bibles located underneath the seats around you. In that blue Bible, you can turn to page 998. 998, and that'll bring you to our text. Also want to remind you, this is part four, which means there are other... There are things that have already been said about this text, and I am uh, not able to say all those things again. So I'll, if you had, have not heard those things, or you have questions about something that is read and I'm not covering it, please go back and listen to those sermons online. I would encourage you to do that. We will be in this text probably a couple more Sundays. Not probably. We will be in this text a couple more Sundays. You ready? Me too. Beginning in verse 5. This is why I, Paul, left you, Titus, in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So again, in every town on the island of Crete, where a community of Christians existed, Paul asked Titus to go and appoint elders within those underdeveloped assemblies or churches. They lacked biblical leadership in those bodies, in those local bodies on the island of Crete. And this was Paul's practice. We see this in Acts 14, 21 through 23. He would go back through the cities where disciples of Christ were made, and he would bring those assemblies together, and he would appoint elders that they might care for that local body of Christ. Then in verse 6, Paul begins to lay out the criteria Titus is to use for choosing and appointing elders. Okay? There is a biblical criteria. Verse 6, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers or faithful, as we have already covered, would be a I believe a better translation, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and discipline. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. This section of Titus that I we just read, along with 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, revealed to us the essential or vital or indispensable qualifications for the men who are tasked by God with managing and caring for the household of God, as the scriptures refer to it, 
or the churches that the men are members of. These men are referred to, and again, I've said this before, but I'm just reviewing a little, just to pick up so we can continue to run with the passage. These men are referred to in the scriptures in several ways. They're referred to as elders, as overseers, and as shepherds or pastors. Now, these men are not expected or required to be sinless or perfectly like Christ, for that is not possible for any of us in this life, right? But they are expected and required to be morally and spiritually fit, which is what the criteria in this passage pictures, a morally and spiritually fit person according to God's standards. But, as I have said before, beloved, isn't that what God wants of every Christian? Yes? To be morally and spiritually fit? And striving, even so, to become even more and more like Christ? Is that not what he wants of every child of his? So while this section is specifically speaking of the criteria for choosing elders for a church, the criteria certainly has application for every other individual that makes up the church. So, as I have been saying each time that we have come back to this text, and I will no doubt continue to say, the entire church should aspire to be what the elders of the church must be. Does that make sense to you? You with me? Are you part of the entire church? You are if you're a born-again believer of Jesus Christ. And you've partnered yourself to this ministry, you are part of the church, the local church. So you should aspire to be what the elders of the church must be. You know, it has been said that when Christians hear a sermon, they sometimes think only of how someone else really needs to hear it. And with the sermons I have been doing on this passage, that would be very easy to do because 97% of you approximately are not elders. And most of the men here probably don't aspire to be elders necessarily. But I am hoping you won't do that as we work through this text. Think of someone else. I'm hoping instead that you think carefully about how you measure up to the criteria that is listed here for elders. That's what I'm hoping you'll do. Certainly, it speaks directly to elders and about elders, certainly. But don't just think about that. Think about yourself, since this criteria really is a picture of being morally and spiritually fit. And I would say, to whatever degree you measure up, praise God, right? Praise God and thank him. Thank him for his wonderful salvation that has set you free and his abundant grace and indwelling Holy Spirit that has enabled you to overcome your sin and grow in God's righteousness. Praise God. Thank him. 
if you measure up in any way or in every way. But to whatever degree you don't measure up, then ignore it. No, certainly not. Confess your shortcomings, your faults, your sins to God and determine, determine to change, to change, okay? As the scripture lays out how that should be. So, why do I keep emphasizing that you evaluate yourself in light of this passage? Why do I keep doing that? Well, just look at the vices listed in verse 7, because that's where we left off. Look at the vices listed there. Arrogant, quick-tempered, a drunkard, violent, greedy for gain. So when I think about elders having oversight of the church and caring for God's people, God's precious people, people purchased with the blood of his dear son, well, these things are a big deal, a really big deal, very problematic. They, they must, the elders must not be characterized by these things. With such a, a heavy responsibility as that, such an important thing as that, right? Right? They must not be. It makes sense, right? But what about everyone else in the church? Is it not a big deal for them to be free from these things as well? Yeah, it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. Any one of these vices, let alone a combination of them, can hurt a church. I mean, it's not just the leadership that can hurt a church. The church can hurt the church. Huh? They can ruin a marriage. I'll talk about being a drunkard next week. I decided to skip that one this week because of the mixed crowd, the young folks. I want a little more freedom to speak, so I'll wait till next time I speak. But I can't tell you how many marriages have been ruined by that alone. These vices can destroy a family. Maybe you've experienced that. I have personally witnessed it. These vices can obliterate your witness for Christ. We, as we're studying, you know, this making disciples in our growth groups, we're to align our will with God's will, his, our plans with his plans, and it is to make disciples to bring people to, the, to Christ, to show them Christ and the glory that he is. And if these vices characterize your life, you're going to have a real problem doing that. Besides obliterating your witness for Christ, they bring great pain to our Lord's heart. These things should not characterize any follower of Christ, beloved. These things are not of God, but they are fruits of our fallen flesh. And we must, we must, with God's sufficient help, 
keep them from being or becoming a part of our lives? Yes? Yes. Yes. So picking up where we left off last time. Titus chapter 1, verse 7, in the middle there, the Apostle Paul, as he lays out the criteria, he says, he, that is the elder, or elders of the church, must not be arrogant. Now, I, I ended last time with this qualification, but I want to come back to it because I rushed through it. Because as usual, I was at the end and out of time. And so I didn't say all that I would like to say. And I would also say it really is responsible for a lot of problems in our relationships. Whether they be marriage relationships, church relationships. So, we're going to look at it again. Aren't you excited? Arrogant. That's how mo- many uh, Bibles, Bible translations translate the underlying Greek word. It's one way to do it. If I were to just give you an English definition of arrogant, I'm sure most of you uh, know what it means, but here's an English definition of arrogant. Having or revealing an exaggerated sense of one's own importance or abilities. <laughs> but I want to point out to you that that is not the only way that Bible translators or Bible translations translate this word, this Greek word. Arrogant is one way. It's good. It's good. It's trying. And just remember, these Greek words, they have meaning, and they're trying to get at that meaning by giving you an English word, but sometimes it's difficult to just get the exact right English word that that really gives you all that the word implies or means or indicates. Two other good translations, New American Standard Bible and the New King James Bible, translate this word self-willed. Self-willed. Okay? Stay with me. The NIV 84, another good translation, translates it overbearing. Overbearing. So a definition of overbearing would be unpleasantly or arrogantly domineering. Domineering. Other synonyms for overbearing might be high and mighty. Bossy. Proud, pushy, throwing one's weight about. You starting to get the idea as we go through the different translations? This is why it's good as we work through or as you work through a passage together to have a couple of different maybe translations to look at and good translations to look at and helps you maybe understand the passage a little bit better. So it's translated arrogant, self-willed, overbearing. If you look at... uh, Definitions and Bible materials, and it's just trying to define the Greek word. The first way they define it as is as self-pleasing, self-pleasing, but also arrogant, overbearing, or as a result of stubbornness, self-will, self-will. One writer, one commentator says this word describes someone who arrogantly trying now to capture all that's contained in that word, arrogantly disregards the interest of others in order to please himself. Right? It's, it's me, it's my will, it's what I want, and I really don't care what you want. Another uh, pastor, 
said this about the word. He said, it's an unusually strong adjective that denotes an arrogant self-interest. Again, trying to capture all that's contained in this Greek word. That asserts its own will with utter disregard for how others might be affected. He goes on to say and just calls it proud self-interest, really, because that's what it is. Proud self-interest is, in one way or another, the root of all sin. Because it not only disregards the interest and welfare of other people, but even more important, disregards God's will and replaces his purpose and glory with man's. Beloved, what does the arrogant, self-willed, overbearing, self-pleasing person lack? Humility? Did someone say humility? Yes. Ding, ding. Did you say it? Did you say it, Thomas? Okay, just check it. Thank you. You did say it first. You said it second? Who said it first? It's important because it's a candy bar for the winner. I got you. Okay. Humility. They lack humility, guys. They lack humility. What do they not lack? Pride. Sinful pride. Beloved, (laughs) humility is something that seems really so rare in this world. Huh? So rare. And unfortunately, unfortunately, I think not as common as it should be among God's people. I think uh, as Christians, we seem to suffer from gospel amnesia. Because if we really (laughs) were thinking on the gospel, meditating on the gospel, (laughs) there would be no room for pride in our lives. Galatians 6.3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. A lot of us deceive ourselves on a regular basis. Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. We need to go back to the cross. We are absolutely nothing apart from the grace of God, apart from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are nothing apart from the energizing and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Huh? Paul Tripp has a new book out called Suffering, I had recently told the elders about it. I have it on order. I think I'm going to have it uh, next Friday. I'm really looking forward to it. Paul Tripp, great author. We use his material on marriage. He has a great book called What Did You Expect? Uh, he has a great devotional that we also have available here, a daily devotional. Just a, He's a gospel-centered guy, just a fantastic read. Anyway, he's, I was watching his videos promoting the book, and he was just talking about his own suffering 
particularly uh, physical ailment that came upon him. And he was talking about how he carried so much spiritual pride into his suffering and how dangerous that was because he was saying to himself, well, I'm the gospel guy. This is what he said. I'm the gospel guy, which he is. I'm a theologian. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And uh, he said, ultimately, that kind of self-reliance and self-sufficiency was found out. You know, he, he realized that he wasn't fine. This suffering caused him to be undone. And this is what he said, and I just love this line. He says, you know what I am? I'm a package of weaknesses held together by divine grace. That's what I am. And that's what you are. That's what you are. If we would remember the gospel and all the implications of it, then we would only be able to say we are packages of weaknesses held together by divine grace. Saved by God's grace, sustained by God's grace, preserved by God's grace, changed by God's grace. Apart from that, we are nothing. He says, as I read that quote to you, proud self-interest is in one way or another the root of all sin because it only, not only disregards the interest and welfare of other people, but even more important, disregards God's will and places his purpose and glory. The arrogant, self-pleasing one disregards God's will in multiple ways, beloved, in multiple ways. But just as I've seen as one example that I have seen Christians disregard God's will, with their proud self-interest, would be in the matter of just something as simple as what is stated in Ephesians 4 in regard to the church, where the Apostle Paul writes this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, all of his speech that he uses comes from a place of humility, a prisoner of the Lord. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, and who's he writing to? Not individual Christians, he's writing to a church. He's writing to a church. I urge you all, the church in Ephesus, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How's that, Paul? Like this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another. Who's the one another? Who is the one another in this passage? Yeah, the, 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 your brothers and sisters in that local congregation. That's the context. So all of these things, you're, you're to, to operate towards them in humility. You are to be gentle towards them. You are to be patient with them. You are to bear with them in love, and you are to be eager, eager to do what? Bail as soon as things get tough, or you don't like somebody there anymore, or you get frustrated with something that was said by someone. Or eager to disrupt the unity of that body. And disturb the peace by slandering your brother and sister in Christ or gossiping about them. 
Nope. That is definitely not what it says. It says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And yet, and yet, my dear beloved, and yet, sinful pride. Proud self-interest, self-pleasing, self-willed leads to so many dear folks, instead of obeying these simple commands and seeking to do all that they can do to make that local body a beautiful place and to support it with all that they have and do nothing to tear it down or destroy it or undermine it. Instead, they do the exact opposite. Over the years, how many people I've seen, and they don't all leave for this reason, but there are people who leave just because they're frustrated about this or that instead of doing the hard work of humbling themselves and bearing with one another and being patient and showing gentleness. And because maybe they weren't, someone wasn't gentle to them, they're like, that's it, I'm out of here. What are you talking about? That's not God's will for your life. No, it's going to be this way or no way. Okay, you see? And these are, this is how churches are hurt and struggle. So that's just one way that the arrogant, self-pleasing one disregards God's will. They look at this passage and they say, I think my way's better. Humility, gentleness, patience. And of course, they don't, generally, I would think a Christian wouldn't say it that way, but ultimately, that's what happens. They ignore all of this. Forget it. My way's better. There's 100 churches around here. I don't like something, boom. And I'm not talking about, you know, false gospel or corrupt doctrine. I've told you this before. If there's false doc- gospel or corrupt doctrine, then you should all leave. First, you should say something to me because if I'm the one doing that, something's seriously wrong with me. Someone needs to say something. Maybe I've lost my mind, Right? So in love, you would say, Jeremy, you are out of line. Yeah. But if I said, oh, no, I'm not. I'm going to keep preaching this nonsense. You are saved by works. You know, yeah, then, which is not true, right? Then you'd have to leave. You'd have to leave to be faithful to God. But generally, people leave for anything but that. eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Is that your desire? Because that's God's desire, right? But if you are, have this arrogance about you, then it doesn't really matter what God's will is, and you don't really care how your decisions impact others either. You're not even really thinking about what you do impacts other brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's arrogant self-will. Commenting on this verse, or vice, I should say, in verse 7, one, uh, one person says, thinking of the elder again, because that's who it's directed at specifically, the elder should be flexible in his own opinions, considerate of other viewpoints, and especially open and eager to do God's will. Yeah, that would make sense, right? Since he's going to be leading God's church and caring for it. But are you open and eager to do God's will? Are you? Are you? Are you? Check yourself. And when I say this, believe me, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. But uh, I know people have said, man, we come here and we just, the people who usually stay here, they're like, we just love that you beat us up every Sunday. (laughs) And because otherwise you won't stay. If you don't like that, you will not stay here, you know? 
because this is not, I'm not fluffing you up. I am not. But I just find in my own heart, I need, I need some, I need some sandpaper on me on a regular basis. So I pick up a lot of junk. I've got this fallen flesh. I live in a fallen world. I got junk coming at me every which way. I need God's corrective word. And like I said, to the degree that you, you are aligned, then think, just praise God. Praise God. Because that just shows he's doing work in your life. You know, praise him. Anyway, are you open and eager to God's will or, or, or does your mind or heart and mouth scream, my will, my will better be done. What matters most is what I want. Imagine with me for a second. I just want to keep pressing. Arrogant. Oh, yeah, arrogant. No, let's press. So imagine with me an arrogant, self-pleasing, self-willed, overbearing elder. That would be so, and maybe you've, maybe you've experienced that, but that would be so, and not here, I hope, because if that's the case, we need to get rid of them in the sense of they need to step down, right? If any of us ever become that, guys, if any of the elders ever become that, they need to step down. But imagine with me an arrogant, self-pleasing, self-willed, overbearing elder, so corrosive and so destructive to a church body. A terrible example to the Christians that, that they are called to lead. A serious problem even, just on a practical level for the other elders that you would serve with. So, you know, we have meetings. There's uh, five of us elders, and we have meetings. Sorry, I had to think for a second. And if, if you got a guy in there who's arrogant, self-pleasing, self-willed, overbearing, and we're trying to have discussions and trying to find consensus and dis- make determinations to help as best we think according to God's word and his principles and his wisdom, guide and lead this beautiful local body of people, can you imagine one guy who's like, I don't think so. I mean, he's just constantly, he's not cooperative. He doesn't play well with others. It's his way or the highway every time. How destructive that would be, Aaron. Huh? And I even told Aaron in the last, uh... no, wait, I want to resolve this, that it's, I want to make sure you understand where I'm coming from. I told, as Aaron just recently became an elder, he went through elder training, part of the elder training, the vetting, is to put him into the meetings and let him engage before we actually make him an elder. It's a part of the testing. Can he get along with us? Can, we want, we don't want a yes man, but we want a man who, is not also arrogantly self-willed, who, who with us is striving to know God's will and to follow it in this local body, okay? So you get it, right? You get it. You get how ugly and terrible and it would be to have an arrogant, self-pleasing, self-willed, overbearing elder, bossy, pushy, my way or the highway kind of guy. I'm doing it my way. I don't really care what you, what you guys think. Ugly, disgusting, right? You agree? So it makes sense why it would be part of the criteria, yeah? Okay. Let's stop and replace the term elder with another term, husband. An arrogant, self-pleasing, self-willed, overbearing husband. Huh? Wife. child, 
sister, brother, employee, employer, neighbor. Maybe you've had one of those. (laughs) I hope to God you haven't been one of those or are one of those. Relative. I said that to include (laughs) mother-in-laws. Hi, Robin. How are you? I see you out there. Robin likes me just to call her name. She told me that. She likes uh, everyone to kind of look and look at her. So I just wanted to honor that. (laughs) Uh, Father-in-laws, for that matter. In-laws. How about member of the church? Huh? Huh? What characterizes your life, beloved? An arrogant self-interest that asserts its own will with utter disregard for how others might be affected? Or humility and an openness and eagerness to do God's will no matter what? And here I would add this, that pride has this unique thing it does. It blinds us to our own pride. This is why it's so tricky, so difficult, such a corrosive sin and remains in people's life. Pride blinds us to our own pride. I'm not proud. I'm not arrogant. It's not about me. So I would recommend always that you get close enough to other brothers and sisters in this body so that they can actually have an opportunity, if necessary, to speak into your life. And that would even mean that you might ask them from time to time. You know, if we're only listening to ourselves, that's pretty dangerous. This is why I believe God gave us the church, because we are so easily self-deceived, thinking we're fine, thinking everything's okay, when it's not. Let's move on. Did you have enough of that one? No? You want more? Well, I have to move on, brother. I have to move on. So, he must not be arrogant or, it says, quick-tempered. We're only going to do two more, and the next two are pretty short. Quick-tempered. Quick-tempered, again, is how many, uh, that's Titus 1.7, that's how many translations of the Bible translate that Greek word. It also is also translated hot-tempered, not prone to anger, or must not easily, or must not get angry easily. Okay? They're all kind of saying the same thing there. You can kind of see it. They're all getting at it this, the same thing in a little bit different way, using different wording. Uh, The parallel passage in 1 Timothy 3.3 says, not quarrelsome. Not quarrelsome. One writer says that the Greek word, uh, translated quick-tempered in the the ESV, does not refer to occasional outbursts, bad as those are, but to a propensity to anger. The quick-tempered person has then a tendency to be easily angered. He has a, what you might call a short fuse, a short fuse, and is easily provoked. Now, we can understand how that might be a problem, (laughs) Uh, especially for an elder of the church. One writer pointing that out who writes about eldership says, since an elder must deal with people and their problems, a hothead will quickly find much material to fuel his anger. 
But uh, I was just thinking, again, you could throw anything in there besides the title elder, since a spouse, parent, employer, employee must deal with people and their problems, a hothead will quickly find much material to fuel his anger or her anger. You see what I mean? And of course, another commentator states, pastoral work demands much patience. Certainly it does. So it does. Um, so therefore, an elder cannot be easily provoked. You know, I've always said to people, look, you've got families. You've all got individual families, right? And uh, I hope so. And within your families, there's probably somewhere conflict, problems, and issues. I mean, maybe it's not right in the uh, husband, wife, and your little local unit, but and maybe it is there, and certainly could be, and if it's not today, maybe next week. I don't know, but certainly then as you extend into your family, right? Any of you have a like perfect, conflict-free family? I just, I, ha- I just don't know. I've never seen it. I've just never seen it. I don't have it either. But as, a, as an elder, as a pastor of a church, you basically just say, now give me more family. You just take all the family with all of its stuff. This is why, yeah, this is pretty important because even in your families, if you're a hothead, you're going to have problems. And for the elder, he's basically kind of taking to himself that now very large family with all of their stuff because we all got stuff. So an elder cannot be easily provoked. Honestly, relationships with people, regardless of what context we find it in, demands a measure of patience. Yeah? In order for them to be healthy and good or productive. I mean, you want a destructive relationship, yeah, then be impatient. Be quick to be angry. Be a hothead. Have a short fuse. And of course, patience requires self-control. Patience requires self-control, right? That's a matter of the will and a fruit of the Spirit, Christian. It's a fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit that, if you are a follower of Christ, dwells inside of you and empowers you to be patient as you exercise self-control. Proverbs 29.22 says, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Right? So, I mean, things are already problematic enough because of our weaknesses and our fallenness. Right? You want to make them worse? Be a hothead. Be quick to anger have a tendency to be prone to get mad. That'll just add to the mix of mess. And so elders obviously are called not to make more of a mess, but to help people through their messes, to help them. But certainly in any relationship, this is critical and important, right? You know, marriage, I often say marriage is, as I've heard defined, two broken people living in close proximity to one another. What do you think's going to happen? Huh? We'll live happily ever after together. 
Well, there is indeed happiness to be had in a marriage that's honoring God. There is. There is. But if you think you're going to enter into a marriage without problems, (laughs) you've been watching too much Disney. There are going to be problems when two sinners live in close proximity to one another. There are, you are going to let each other down. I'm sorry, that's going to happen. Even at your best, you're going to let each other down. And if the wife or the husband is a hothead, it will only make matters much worse. For that matter, brothers and sisters, you'll let one another down in this local congregation. You want to make it worse? Have a short fuse. This is in contrast to the man of wrath is our Lord. In Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Leave that up for just a moment, my dear brother. Could you you insert your name in the place of the Lord Uh, faithfully, truthfully? Jeremy is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That is my desire. That's what I want to be. I know I am not always that, but I strive for that. I want that. I would love that to be put on my gravestone. Jeremy was at that point. (laughs) Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. As God's children, we're called to be like our, our Heavenly Father. And then he's, all, he's empowered to set us free from the tyranny of sin, the mastery of sin over our lives, set us free from that, forgiven us, given his spirit so that we could be just that, like our Heavenly Father. Someone might say something like, you don't understand, that's just how I am. I've always been that way. I'm a hothead. As long as I can remember, I've always been a hothead. I just have a short fuse. You just got to understand, that's how I am. No, I don't have to understand that at all. I don't have to accept that either. And you, more importantly, you shouldn't accept that if you're a follower of Jesus. As you know, you know the passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? He's what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You got to live by faith according to this passage and stop believing the lies of your flesh. Dear brother and sister, one uh, pastor says concerning, again, thinking of elders and thinking of the man who is not prone to anger, he says he is a man, and just thinking about what the elder is uh, tasked with and must deal with, he is a man who can delegate responsibility to others because elders aren't doing it all. They're working with others to do what the church does. He's a man who can delegate responsibility to others who may not, who may not fulfill a task in the exact way that he would. He can work with others in kindness, patience, and gratitude. He can allow dedicated but inexperienced people around him to fail until they learn to succeed. So, so important, so critical to the health of a body where they're not freaked out that if, if they do something wrong, the hammer is going to come down on them. They, maybe they didn't do it exactly how the pastor or pastors wanted something done. 
So the hand, they're going to blow up. I can't believe this! You know? But these things uh, apply right into the family unit, too. You can see that. A child growing up in that kind of environment. Healthy or unhealthy? Unhealthy. Destructive. Or a wife with a husband like that. Living in fear. If she doesn't do it exactly or everything just the way her husband wants it, he's going to go crazy. He's going to blow up. Or he'll just be angry all day. Or, for that matter, vice versa. A husband living with a wife that if he doesn't dot his I's and cross his T's, huh? Exactly the way she wants him to. There's no room there for graciousness. So he's kind of just always living in fear, cowering. And maybe she doesn't blow up, but she pouts, you know? It's that hidden anger. That. Something like that, I don't know. My wife doesn't do it, so. Not like that. I find that Christians want others to be patient with them as they are slowly growing in Christ as we all are, but they don't always give what they want for themselves to those who might fail them in some way. Let's, uh, let's end. I was going to do violent, and violent flows right out of quick to anger. I mean, it's just a manifestation uh, an outworking of this hostility, right? But my time is up. And like I said before, I, I don't have a, I don't get paid more if I get so far through the text in a given amount of time. So I'm okay with just taking it as we go and um, trying to let this have its way with our hearts. So with that, Let me close in prayer. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for your precious, precious, precious word. Where would we be without it? We'd be in the dark. Thank you for the instruction we find in it, the correction, the guidance, your wisdom, really your love for us, your love for us. Or the things that you tell us that should not be a part of our lives are things that if we allow them to be part of our lives are so destructive, so caustic. They ruin, they tear down, they break. So as a loving father, you, you command, you exhort, you instruct for our good. And, more importantly, for your great glory. For you are not these things, Father. You are the exact opposite. Father, help us. Help us. We are, we are really just a collection, a bag of, of weaknesses, as you know, held together by your divine grace. Father, we're so grateful for it, so thankful. But Father, you act, uh, ask us to act, to will ourselves toward what you 
would have us to be and to do. May we not attempt to do these things in our own strength, knowing that we don't have the strength to do these things, but rely by faith in your Spirit, in the Holy Spirit that indwells us. May we, may we walk in faith as we recount the truths of the gospel that sin is no longer our master. It no longer has a right to say how we are to live. It no longer rules over us, so we must not let it. But rather our wonderful, beautiful, righteous Savior rules over us now. And may we live in light of that and has made it possible for us to walk after him and follow him in the path of righteousness. Help us, Father. Continue to help us. And Father, I just pray you'd work in our hearts because we are incredible at, at denying things about us that we need to really see. And so do that work, Father, that, that Holy Spirit work. Bring to our mind these things that need to be rid of our, out of our lives that, that should not be any part of our lives. Make it clear to us, Father. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.